This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Tonight we have uh, a real treat. Uh, Dr. Peter Carroll is the co-director of the Urologic Cancer Center at the UCSF Helen Diller Family Comprehensive Cancer Center and chair of urology at UCSF. He's an expert in managing urologic cancers. His areas of interest include innovative methods of urinary tract reconstruction and the impact of cancer detection and treatment on quality of life. Dr. Carroll has authored hundreds of publications, uh, 519 according to PubMed, um, serves as associate editor of the Journal of Urology and plays a key role in other journals. He is principal or co-investigator of many peer-reviewed research grants. Peter is also an enthusiastic cyclist, uh, previous presenter at the Medicine of Cycling Conference in Colorado, and if you're lucky, he'll tell you which bike seat he uses. Um, and so he's here to answer the question, uh, men in cycling, New York Times warns men about long bike rides. Are they right? Thank you very much. It's indeed a pleasure and honor to be here, and it's a treat for me to talk about something other than urologic cancers, uh, and, and so this is a real treat for me. I wear many hats, but, and I've had many jobs throughout my life, but one of my favorite jobs in uh, early in college was a bicycle mechanic, and I had a lot of very nice bikes at the time. Of course, I had to solo, sell those to go to medical school, but I spent most of my time, actually, if people remember the uh, early 70s, putting these bikes together. I used to line these up about 20 to, about 20 at a time and go down one with an air tool, put pedals on one side, come up the other side, put pedals on them. And I go on eBay every now and then thinking I'll get one of these. I'd make a bid every now and then to put one of those back together again. But I had a lot of fun and learned a great deal. Uh, clearly from a healthcare standpoint, there's a strong rationale for cycling. Uh, it improves overall cardiac health, uh, it reduces cardiac-related mortality, relaxation, weight loss, a great deal of evidence to show that it has a very beneficial effect on overall health care. Uh, there are a lot of urologic issues, and I, I list them here. I'm not going to go over these things, you know, trauma, this whole issue around seats, erectile dysfunction. I'll mention a few of these. I, I've given you some slides, and I'll be available for, for questions, but I'll highlight only the most significant. The real issue here, I do a lot of research, but there are severe limitations on the number of reports, generally small sample sizes. They, they look at a small number of cyclists, both men and women. The methods they use are quite variable, a lot of confounders, and very, very little, little data on women. I'll actually show, show you some data on women. Uh, a lot of direct organ injuries, kidney, bladder, urethra, testicular injuries. And I have a young medical student uh, working with me looking at actually bicycle-related injuries in the United States. And just for, from a cut point on urologic injuries, there's about 4,000 urologic injuries uh, on a yearly basis here in the U.S. All cases, a little bit more men than women. Uh, in pediatric cases, it's a little bit, uh, we see a lot of uh, injury here. Adult cases dominated uh, more by men. Actually, if you look, look at overall U.S. characteristics, about 76% of cyclists are uh, are men, about 24% women. The biggest single growth we're seeing now is in adult males between 25 and 45, big increase in the last 20 years in cycling. Uh, you know, you see sometimes major injuries like this one here. This is a CT scan here, patient's right side, left side, back here. 
this is their right kidney cracked in half here, a big hematoma or blood, blood collection right around it. This patient actually uh, put a big crack in their kidney right here. This, is, this kidney was embolized here. We had our interventional radiologist put little uh, uh, glue into the, one of the arteries to stop the bleeding right here, did not require an open operation. But actually, if you look at bicycle injuries, fewer of this magnitude most of the injuries we see are to the, the male external genitalia, the scrotum, testicle, penis. Actually, the female external genitalia account for about 18% of the injuries. Again, a small number of these more major kidney injuries, injuries to the urethra. This is channeled from the bladder to the outside. Uh, again, if you look at these uh, injuries, again, in pediatric patients, we'll actually see a higher number of these injuries compared to adult cases over time. And again, we see a lot of these injuries in the external genitalia of both men and women. Perineum refers to that area just below, uh, between the anus and, and genitalia. Interesting data right here. If you look at the pattern of injury, what's the mechanism of injury between men and women? Uh, uh, we see that uh, men are more likely to fall off their bicycles and more likely to collide uh, women have more of direct contact with the bicycle itself. I thought this was interesting. If you actually look at what, if you look at the part of the bicycle that causes the injury, handlebars uh, and the bike seat in men, the top tube in women, I was not expecting this, but this is actually a common injury in, uh, in women and, and young children, the top tube, uh, striking the top tube in women. I was not expecting that, actually. The story that never goes away, that keeps resurfacing, actually with very little data, is this whole issue of cycling and erectile dysfunction, sexual changes in sexual function. This keeps coming back uh, cyclically. In 1997, there was a big headline that uh, men should never ride bicycles, there should be banned or outlawed, irrational form of exercise. This was actually said by someone I know, a, a well-known urologist in private practice, said there were only two types of male cyclists. Those are impotent now and those who will become impotent. And I think he still feels, he's, he, obviously he's not, he's not a cyclist, but I think he still, <laughs> he still feels this way. And the, the, for just for, to get definitions out, out there, the definition of erectile dysfunction is a consistent or recurrent inability of a man to attain or maintain erection sufficient for sexual performance. We're not talking about libido here or orgasm, we're talking about erections. And if you think about a little bit of anatomy here, I'm showing you the base of a man's body right here. You see the, the genitalia here, the structures that make up the inside of the penis. Some very important structures come around the pubic bone right here. Here's the pubic bone here, the ischial tuberosities where you sit on your bicycle. And a very important nerves and blood supply here called the perineal nerve or the pudendal nerve comes down below the pelvis very close to the pelvic canal here. And of course, this is the area where one thinks that there's the most injury due to compression, uh, you know, direct compression itself, compression leading to decreased blood supply and oxygen tension, we call hypoxemia. These nerves could be stretched. Uh, and it seems to be a product of both pressure and duration. So not only the amount of pressure, but how long you maintain that pressure. And, of course, again, I'm showing these structures right here. Again, the base of the body here. Here are the uh, genitalia here, the testicles. This is the internal surface of the penis. The penis actually has these cylindrical structures that come from inside the pelvis outward. And 
Here you see these dorsal nerve of the penis, the perineal nerve, uh, and these important nerves that come actually out, outside the canal, very close to what we call the perineum uh, in direct pressure. And of course, the culprit right here is thought to be the bicycle seat itself. Now, this is not a new phenomenon. I came across this quote from a nice a friend of mine, Will Brand, sent this to me. This it was actually Hippocrates talked about the Scythians. They said their bodies grow fat and squat. Uh, they prevent fertility. They have no great desire for intercourse because of a great jostling on their horses. So before bicycles, this was thought to be conditioned to people who were, rode horses. And this was a condition of those in the upper class because people in the lower classes didn't have uh, horses and didn't uh, ride and suffered less. So this is not a new, new phenomenon. It's been, been, uh, been over uh, for many, many uh, centuries. Of course, I wouldn't call uh, those who ride horses may be fat and lazy, but I don't think cyclists are. <laughs> a little bit of anatomy or physiology here. The, 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 how erections are induced is you have a ner the nerve sends a message. This is the erectile tissue uh, cutaway of the penile tissue right here. What you have is a nerve. The, the nerve sends a message here. This results in venous uh, dilation. These sinusoids fill with blood. And, of course, they increase pressure, and they, they, these veins right here get constricted, and the outflow is reduced. So you have a nerve sending a message to penile tissue to increase arterial inflow that fills these sinusoids. It fills and prevents venous outflow. That, that's what causes the erection to occur. So both nerve function and vascular function, you need both. I'm going to talk a little bit about how these things have been measured. There's a very good uh, questionnaire. It's called the IIEF, or AUA Sexual Function Score. It asks several questions of men, and you get a very quantitative, well-validated score between 25 and 30 that re relate, relate sexual function. There are other ways, physiologic ways. You can actually measure oxygen tension in the perineal bodies. You can various forms of imaging. You could look vibratory sense, vibratory sensation, and actually, there were also, I'll show you some pressure mats would actually measure the pressure in various parts of the perineum. There are all ways to measure this, the physiology of this phenomenon. What's normal? I think this is very important to realize that there's a lot of population data to show that men between uh, ages of 40 and 70, the risk of uh, erectile dysfunction is around 52%. Most of that is actually minimal to moderate, complete in about 10%. So this condition is relatively common in the population. If you look at age, it, of course it's related to age. As men get older, there's a more likely that they will have problems with sexual function. So again, we have a background of, of problems in an aging uh, population. You know, at one time, sexual uh, problems with, erect, uh, with sexual function were thought to be psychological. You go back 20, 30 years ago, the majority of patients were thought to have uh, psychological problems. Over the last two decades, it's been shown that's not the case. About 85% of problems with erectile dysfunction are due to physical problems, psychological problems, or unknown etiologies are actually very uncommon. Nowadays, actually worked on at UCSF by my colleague Tom Liu and Emil Tanago did, did a lot of work showing that the normal anatomy of sexual function. The epidemiology, of this, despite all the press about this phenomenon, there's very little good data. Uh, studies are often very small, limited cross-sectional. Uh, the outcomes are often not very well validated. 
Perineal numbness is actually a very common complaint, and, and I'm sure all cyclists, male cyclists, and actually um, female cyclists, because the, the risk of perineal numbness among women cyclists is almost the same as men. But this is a common complaint, perineal numbness. Easily it's reported between 7 and 45%, and I, my sense is when we talk to competitive cyclists, it's very, very common. Few cohort studies. There's this great trial of strength, which is done in Scandinavia. You know, this is a you know between a eighteen and thirty seven hour uh, bike ride. Uh, they they looked about thirteen percent of men complained of erectile dysfunction after the ride. Most of those resolved, but seven percent lasted over a week. Uh, an important point is usually for those who develop erectile dysfunction, they will give an antecedent history of perineal numbness, again, giving an idea that there's, there's trauma occurring here. Uh, compared to age-matched non-cyclists, the prevalence of erectile dysfunction is, in this group of, pay, of riders was about 13% compared to 56 for age-matched riders. So these riders seem to have a higher risk of erectile dysfunction compared to age-matched people who were not riders. So again, it was, some, it was a thought early on that there was a problem occurring in cyclists. Uh, some cohort studies, you know, a survey of cycling clubs in the U.S. Again, they, they looked at a lot of different variables here, these questionnaires, uh, cycling-related variables. There was about 700 cyclists in the analyses. Interestingly, in this study, things not associated with erectile dysfunction were miles per week, seat angle. I'm going to talk about each of these things going forward, degree of seat padding, uh, presence of paresthesias, again, this numbness. Things that were associated with erectile dysfunction in this cross-sectional analysis were age and years of cycling. So those who were older and cycling for longer periods were more likely to report changes in sexual function. A very big Eastern study is something called a Massachusetts Male Aging Study. And this is a study not specifically looking at cyclists, but actually looks at the uh, 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 health of men over, over a long time period. And men in the study were between the ages of 40 and 70. They did have a nine-item survey on sexual function in this study here. They had about 1,300 questionnaires were included. And they looked at about the overall rates of erectile dysfunction, again, overall. As I've pointed out, this is age-related. So as you get older, you're more likely to have uh, sexual dysfunction. So again, the entire cohort, relatively common. And in a subset, they looked at men who cycled. And what they found was that compared to non-cyclists, it appeared that those who <coughs> rode over three hours per week had a higher risk of having erectile dysfunction. Uh, and when they adjusted this, that means we looked at other variables and tried to adjust what the risk for sexual dysfunction was. It appeared to be related to the uh, number of hours men rode. Now, I want to point out that even though there appeared to be a relationship between hours riding and erectile dysfunction, the risk of erectile dysfunction for sedentary men was much higher than this group. So even though there appeared to be a relationship between riding and sexual performance, actually those riders performed better, uh, had higher sexual function scores than sedentary men. So again, even though cycling may be a risk factor, cyclists tend to report better sexual function compared to sedentary men. Again, a little bit of anatomy. I point this out. Again, some important nerves come out down low here below the, the pelvis. So here's the pelvis right here. This is the perineum where, you'll, where your saddle sits. And it's thought to be compression or straining on this nerve and blood supply that leads to this problem. This is both a motor and sensory nerve. 
Um, so again, it's thought to be direct compression and also stretching of this nerve that comes under that because it, it, it comes underneath the canal. There's some tethering that occurs, so it's riding not only compress it, you can actually stretch it. Uh, and both hypoxemia again, you, you reduce blood uh, oxygenated blood to the area and direct neuropathy. It appears that duration is more important than pressure. So you can tolerate small amounts of high pressure better than a longer duration of lower pressure. I'll show you some data to support that. Too many options for, for, for a cyclist. And when you mentioned the number of seats that I have, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, uh, I have very few, few fetishes in life, but I'm one of those people who think you can't have too many bicycles. So I have everything from an old brook cycle to cutout cycles to padded cycles. So I have every different type. And I'm not sure that I can tell one from another. I can't tell when I'm getting lazy on the bike. That's more, probably more of a problem than, when, when, than one saddle versus another. My old Brooks saddle, I, which I actually got on eBay because I restored a bike, actually is as comfortable as any other saddle that I have. So the components are the width, the curvature of it, you know, what, what's the dip to it, padding, special sections. And people have made a bundle on, and many of urologists have made a bundle on, designing new saddles, frequently very arbitrarily designed and made. You know, there are some people who make a living riding on their bicycles, and there's something called the National Institute for Occupational Safety who actually started to look at this because they worry about some police and other people who ride bikes, that this could be an occupational hazard for them. So these, these NOSH studies were done, one through three. And again, a relatively small number of of, uh, of people here, 42 in the, in the group, average age was 34, they had 29 control patients who, again, were not cycling. And they looked at saddle pressures, they looked at hormonal analysis, again, this questionnaire that, that re- re- rates sexual function, something called a rigid, rigid, rigid scan, which is actually a device that you place around the base of the penis at night because it's common for men to have uh, cycle erections at night. So this actually measures the number and the pressure the quality. Uh, 91% of these cyclists uh, report occasional numbness, perineal numbness. No one, again, this was a small cohort of uh, younger men, no one had erectile dysfunction. Um, they did find that sleep time erections were decreased in cyclists, but there was actually uh, uh, no difference in the, uh, uh, e- even though they had. Uh, the sleep, the sleep, t- the, the erections were of shorter time. There's really no difference in the number. They looked at several different designs. Here again, a standard uh, saddle, which we'll all recognize. Uh, you know, I, I, you can see these designs right here. I'm, this, these are not things that I would commonly see out there on the road, but these are the kinds of things they evaluated. And they evaluated these in a stationary bike. And again, they looked at this issue of pressure. And traditional shape had twice the t- perineal pressure as the other saddle. Uh, types. There was no increase in hand or pedal pressure regardless of the saddle design. So despite the saddle design, these were not leading to an increase in pressure uh, in the hands, which is sometimes a worry with these types of saddles. That Even though they may decrease perineal pressure, they may put more pressure on the hands and wrists. The, the third study, again, this NOSH 3 study, was of more, more people, six-month follow-up. Again, they looked at these same variables, and what they saw is a few things that if, when they looked at the traditional versus noseless saddles, there was a small difference in these scores, a small difference in the number of, of, of these young men who, who had these kind of perfect erectile function scores. 
Vibratory sens sensitivity was a little bit different. So those who had the noseless saddles had a little bit better. They, they, they had better uh, vibratory sensitivity, uh, sensitivity, but not a whole lot different. Uh, perineal pressure obviously was a lot different, a lot higher in those who had traditional saddles. Uh, no difference in the number of nocturnal erections or the duration of erections in this study. So again, a small benefit to these no noseless saddles, big difference in pressure, but if you look at the overall outcome, not a whole lot of difference in these other measures of sexual function. You know, where is the pressure occurring? Both, uh, these imaging studies suggest that the pressure occurs right below the pubic symphysis. The pubic symphysis is the main bone you feel right, right below the belly button down low there where the pelvis comes together in the midline. So right under there. Cutouts make no difference. Rider position is a primary determinant of, the, of maximal side of pressure. And, and, the, and the maximal compression of these cavernosal spaces is these deep bodies which uh, are the internal part of the structures that contribute to the, the uh, penis itself. Saddles and blood flow, you can actually measure blood flow quite hell, well. So this study actually looked at blood flow. They had these uh, transcutaneous monitors that measured oxygenation. And when they, they looked at cyclists standing before, these are, these are uh, pressure measurements right here. They looked at before they got in the saddle, three minutes of seated cycling, one minute standing, going back to seating. And you can see here, you see a remarkable drop in pressure, even with three minutes of seating. It actually comes back to normal relatively quickly. So as you sit on the saddle, big decrease in oxygen tension that's seen, you get off the saddle, it comes back relatively quickly. Again, looking at oxygen Changes in oxygen pressure compared to the saddle design, going A, B, C, and D. Again, as you go to the uh, noseless saddle, you see a smaller degree in decrease in oxygen tension pressure. So again, the biggest decreases are seen with these narrower saddles. And really no difference in, in these cutouts versus the standard uh, saddle. Obviously, predictors are cycling. You know, when you're up, you do better than when you're over your, your handlebars. I'll show you some data that the, the further you go over, the more, more pressure you put. Uh, again, showing again these no-no saddles do better. Padding actually can have a negative effect. Wider is better, so you want to be able to sit. I know you had your first talk on bike fit. Um, if I was to give some advice, bike fit is important. You want to be on the ischial tuberosities, the back of these main bones, not forward on your saddle. Um, seating is worse than reclining. 90 degrees is better than 60 degrees. So the more upright you are, the less pressure there is. But this was a nice comment. It said that this was a, this was a store owner. He said, you know, these, these noseless saddles scream out, I've got a problem. Who needs that in a bike shop? So this was a, a vendor who wouldn't want to sell these saddles in his bike shop. Serious bike riders would, would be totally embarrassed to show up at a race in noseless saddles. And despite the fact that all talk about having a noseless saddle being better, is, there's, there's absolutely no uptake in the riding community for a saddle that looks like this. Uh, effector of gender, workload, and hand position, all your ex you are experienced cyclists. So, so the data I showed you here is a little bit different, that in fact as you increase power, uh, the pressure, you reduce the pressure in the posterior region. So for those of you really cranking it up, you actually will have a beneficial effect. So that where you uh, putting in more power, actually the pressure decreases. So I think for many experienced riders, they do uh, much better than those who are more occasional riders. 
these drops as I'll show you moves pressure forward. So as you go over, you move the pressure toward the anterior portion of your saddle. The ischial tuberosity width is actually greater in women, again suggesting that their bike fit should be different than men. Is anything else protective? You know, I, as a urologist, I, I was intrigued by this, this uh, article here. They looked at many different saddle designs, but interestingly enough, they looked at the impact of sildenafil. Sildenafil is, is Viagra. Uh, sildenafil was originally developed as a cardiac medication. It actually r- results in uh, vasodilation. Only by happenstance today, I see that it had a beneficial effect on sexual function. But in the study, they actually looked at uh, the impact of sildenafil versus placebo on uh, uh, oxygen tension, and they found out that it was, it was impactful. It actually improved oxygen tension. And there was a follow-up study, a very, it wasn't a very good study, but one study that followed on this, that the use of sildenafil actually in men and women improved the cardiovascular and excess performance of trained cyclists at very high altitude. Now, this was a very small study, and it, the effects were very variable. That means it was uh, that some cyclists had a benefit and some didn't. And I was intrigued by this because uh, this time, and I'd still today, it's, this was not banned. But another study that was actually done by the uh, World Doping, one of the world, I forget the world... Antidote funded the study to look at the impact of sildenafil, and it actually had little influence at cardiovascular hemodynamics. Now, this was done at altitude. This was done uh, at sea level, but uh, it, it turns out that this is not the answer to improve cycling performance. As we all know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of other ways to, to improve your cycling. Now, this intrigued me. You know, there's all this talk about this being a male problem, this whole idea of, of the impact of cycling on male sexual dysfunction. But interestingly enough, there is there's pretty good data, in my opinion, to show that this is not just a male problem. If you look at the female pelvis, the same thing uh, applies. You have the, uh, the ischial tuberosities. You have the same nerves and vessels, and they're named a little bit differently, coming out right uh, here in the perineum. And here's a female external genitalia here. These are important nerves and blood supply running in the same relative position that you see in men. Uh, the thing is we have little data on women. We actually have uh, very, very little data, and this intrigues me. Uh, rates of parent, in this study, rates of perineal numbness and pain tingling vary between 20, uh, 34 and 62%. These are in, in women cyclists. Using uh, vibratory sensations, they compared women cyclists, you know, perineal vibratory sensations between cyclists and runners, big difference. Uh, uh, women cyclists had decreased vibratory sensation in the perineum compared to uh, runners. Again, this is very limited by a very small sample size, uh, and there was no follow-up uh, in the study, and actually no relation to sexual function. So this just looked at an outcome of perineal numbness or vibratory sense, but didn't didn't connect it to, to a, a sexual function. What I'm showing you here is data on pressure, both in the posterior part of the saddle and the anterior part of the saddle. Up here is in men, uh, down here in women. As you go forward uh, on the saddle, as you assume more of a, of a, you drop down on the bars, you'll see a little change in men, but a big change in women. So this is, as women go forward uh, on the, the, the drops, they actually experience a bigger change in perineal pressure ant- in the anterior compartment compared to men. So they actually, 
There, this pressures are higher than you'll see in men. And relatively uniform, I'll show you one other study on this. So in the anterior region, women suffer more than men. These are two recent studies. You know, I, I knew I was going to give this talk, so I went back to see if I can see any more data here. And they compare saddle designs. Again, these were in women cyclists. And they found that these cutout and narrower saddles negatively affect saddle pressures in, 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 in women who are cyclists. And again, they looked at this vibratory sensation uh, analyzer, looking at vibratory sensation, and actually also looked at saddle pressures. This is showing saddle pressure in these seats. Again, this is a standard uh, saddle here. These are these cutouts here. Uh, this is a, a wider saddle here. And again, you see these remarkable increase, in, and the, the red shows high pressure as women go forward on the bars, their perineal pressure increases significantly and more so in the cutout saddles. These were competitive cyclists. And they, in their last publication, they looked at the, the handlebar level damage to the pelvic floor in female cyclists. So when the handlebar was level to the seat, they did better. When, in fact, it was lower, there was an increase in pressure. So again, adjusting the handlebars may have a favorable effect compared to your seat height. So my recommendations that, look, cardiovascular benefits are important for general health. A good fitting bicycle position is, I think, critical. Uh, saddles should allow most of the pressure on these ischial tuberosities stay off the anterior region of the bicycle. Cutouts may not be helpful and actually detrimental. And actually, uh, soft saddles may also be detrimental because they, they, they shift the pressure. A slight downward tilt of the saddle may 10 degrees may be actually helpful. Uh, so what I say, you know, you can, you can drop your saddle a, a little bit down about 10 degrees. That actually decreases pressure. Stand up occasionally. I think that's important. If one fully wants to minimize issues, you can go ahead and get a recumbent bike. Actually, not uh, that take care of the problem. Uh, numbness not necessarily dangerous, but the majority of cases of erectile dysfunction are associated with antecedent numbness. So we want to avoid this. On, on, when you're cycling, you can feel perineal numbness. You know, be sure you're on your saddle correctly. Get off your, your bike for a little bit. Uh, well, a couple other things I want to talk about. I get asked uh, commonly, I, I look around the room, some of you are at the age when you want to start testing for prostate cancer, something called prostate-specific antigen. I get this question all the time. The PSA is a serum test, prostate-specific antigen, and its level correlates with both benign and malignant prostate growth. Generally, PSA testing, very controversial, generally recommended for men in their late 40s and 50s. And when you get this test, you can decrease the risk of dying of prostate cancer. I'm not going to get into all the risks and benefits of this, but I get asked all the time whether cycling has an impact on serum prostate-specific antigen. And for most men, when they've looked at this, cycling has little effect on PSA. But what I tell men, those who are likely to have elevated levels, older men, those with larger prostates, those men who uh, were tracking them for prostate cancer, I asked them to get off their saddles for a couple of days before they tested the PSA. So in general, it has limited impact, but for those where it may be important, uh, avoid cycling for a couple of days uh, ahead of time. I monitor a lot of men with prostate cancer, so it's those men, those men with very large prostates, and generally older men, we, we're tracking the PSA, yeah, certainly if they're, they're competitive cyclists. Uh, stay off the bike for a couple of days ahead of time. I'm asked about infertility quite commonly. Very little data on infertility. There is some data suggesting that the cycling has been associated with uh, infertility. They've looked at uh, small numbers of patients. Uh, uh, 
and suggested that compared to triathletes, marathoners, sedentary controls, they may have lower sperm, uh, sperm motility. There's too many confounders to draw con- conclusions in this. I only pointed out that there's very little, uh, very little good data. So in summary, with the urologic conditions in cycling, uh, they may be associated with cycling. The quality of research today is limited. One needs to be aware of these conditions, but my feeling is that these conditions in no way should dissuade you from, uh, from cycling. Better research and documentation are needed. Uh, be safe, ride well, and commit to a good bite fit, is what I would say. I'd like to thank uh, Aisha Appa, a, a young medical, UCSF medical student who's doing a lot of work on cycling-related injury. Interestingly enough, there's not a, guy, a, lot, a, lot, not a lot of good data on cycling injuries out there in, in published uh, good data sets. My colleagues Jim Smith, Will Brandt, of course, Anna and her husband for their wonderful work, and Tom Liu, my colleague at UCSF. Thank you very much. So if you have any questions, I can take them now before the next speaker. Yes. So I, I need to repeat the kind of question and comment because this is being taped for UCTV. So I'm not going to go to all of that, but a very experienced participant in the audience here pointed out all the problems here. And you're absolutely right. These, you know, I, I do a lot of research, and I'm actually amazed uh, that the, the publications are, are actually not great quality. Now, on the other hand, I'm absolutely amazed that we have new information about bike fit. It's not being published. Uh, and, and that concerns me. And, I, and you can get my card on the way out here because I, I think – we really, if we have new information about things like bike fit and saddle design that should be published, and then it shocks me that when I do a PubMed search on this, this erectile dysfunction story is out there and it's being talked about on you know uh, mainstream TV and you go on the online and see it, and yet we're not developing, you know, we're not putting the story to rest one way or another. So if I think if you're still in the industry, we need to get the data out out there published. Uh, so people can act on it. But I agree, it's not great data, and I'm surprised it's not being updated. Uh, but I think hopefully people like you will get the data out there. Uh, and I do, I agree completely, bike fit, not only for this issue, but for all other issues, uh, is key. Now, the question was whether the padding in, the, uh, uh, in clothing has a beneficial effect, or, or has there been any changes in regard to that? Yeah, so it sounds like it's not, and I would predict that, actually. Yes? So the question is whether uphill climbing is beneficial, and the answer would have to be yes. You're off your saddle, and I think anything gets you off your saddle. And, of course, the cardiovascular benefits of riding on hills. I do a lot of running as well, and I think hill training is very good. Yes? Well, I, the question was about getting out of the saddle. Where is this beneficial effect? Uh, you know, I, I can't tell you for sure, but I did show you there just getting off the, when you get off the saddle for a short period of time, you actually restore blood flow and oxygen tension improves. So, so my sense is you're restoring, you're restoring flow and you're decreasing pressure. Additional. I, I think it, 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 I'm not sure I understand your question completely, but my sense it would relate a little bit to your riding style and bike fit as to how much pressure you have on the bike at the time and where you're sitting. So I can tell you getting out of the saddle is going to be beneficial. I'm not sure it's whether duration or pressure that uh, modulates that. And I don't know if there's any data on that. I think it's, it's you're leaving the ischemia when you get up, so, um, so the blood's flowing, flowing. And when you get back down, when you measure transcutaneous oxygen, you're going to go back up, up to normal, and it's going to take about a minute to go back 
uh, to your low point. But if you if you've got a good riding style, it's going to protect you. So a good riding style means that you're not just planted in the saddle all the time. You've got to get up and down. Yes. Okay, well, that's... That, that, okay, but that's what I could find in the literature. So if we have data on 4%, that should be published. And again, you know, being someone who does a lot of research and fun to do research, when I look at data like this, this is not too hard to do. So if you still have your oxygen tension monitors in your garage... We can test this. I mean, this is, you, you, we, we do big cohort, we do studies all the time, and, I, and we could test this. But that, that's what, that was, the 10% was actually published. But I agree, 10% is unrealistic. It'll put too much hand pressure, you get a whole lot of rocks. Yeah. Yes. So if you get numbness down there, is that causing permanent damage or temporary? No, I, I think numbness is quite common. I think the issue, the issue is how often it occurs, you know, Again, bike fit. Now, numbness is going to be very common. I point out that numbness tends to precede these events. The actual event level, the, the likelihood of the event is actually low. So I, if, you, if you have, what, what I say is if, you, if you're having numbness, it's just, it's just going to tell you to do something a little bit different. But you, you're, if you're going to ride a long time or, or hard, you're going to, it's inevitable you'll have some degree of numbness. I mean, maybe you can get perfect bike fit and, and avoid it, but I, I know that you know, I've had, I've had my bikes fit well, and, and uh, sometimes I get lazy off numbness. But I, I, I think it's this issue of how much you have and over what period of time. Yes? Besides getting out of your saddle, is there any preventative measure that we can do to eliminate um, any... Well, I think the question is, besides getting out of the saddle, I think the biggest thing is a good bike fit. So to avoid the problem, you know, if, you're, if, you're, if it's good bike fit, there'll be less of a risk to develop these high perineal pressures. During exercise. Yeah, great question. It was this issue of tight, and this is another common story, that tight-fitting clothes and scrotal temperatures uh, could account for a change in fertility profiles. When they've actually measured it, they didn't see much change in temperature because uh, that, that was a hypothesis. Yes? It, tur- it turns out there are very few cases of an elevated P. The question was about PSA and what's it related to. If you, again, you look at the literature, they have these case reports of men who present with very elevated PSAs who have been cyclists. My sense of these case reports of people who uh, don't have good bike fit and didn't pay attention to perineal numbness. It, it's a very, as I mentioned, when they've actually looked at men, measured the serum PSA levels before and after rides, by and large, it doesn't change. I think what I tell patients, it's, it, it's, it's it, for those who might be at risk for change, older patients, large prostates, prostate cancer, where an accurate reading is quite important to avoid, avoid uh, cycling for a couple of days ahead of time. But, it tends not to, but in general, in general it tends not to change. PSA doesn't change with cycling. So the question was, how much pressure should you be putting on the arms with drop bars? Now, uh, I've been trained to deal with one part of the anatomy, not that part. So I have I, my bike fit colleagues. The, the question is about the pressure on the uh, it should, drops. It should be relatively balanced. You should not feel a lot of pressure on your So, so balance. Yeah, that would, that would be my thought. So uh, balance. Subjectively light on the hands. Yes. Subjectively light. Uh, that's that's pretty tight. I mean, I'm, 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 
I'm just, just thinking about it. So just, but that, that's, you know, I, the image that comes up in my mind when I think about that. But, yeah. But on the young guys that we're measuring, we see that. So, and because the spandex isn't terribly uncomfortable. Well, boy, if it's... That's uh, yeah. Yeah, that's someone who's a slave to style. So, uh, but uh, but uh, thank you very much. Now, what it sounds like the next time you give this course, we should have better information from from a few of the participants on this issue. But it's been great, and thank you very much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.